Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Gray Rooms. Why, hello, roomies. Did you miss us? Oh. Welcome to our first preseason episode of season three. We are all working hard right now building the torturous delight that is coming in this season's rooms. And don't worry, it won't be long before we welcome you in and make you choose a door. <laughs> but truly, we are pretty excited about this upcoming season. Season three has brought a level of talent and torment like we've never seen before. It's always a joy to see new authors and actors screaming for mercy within these walls. We, of course, could not create this show without your support and want to thank our wonderful patrons for continuing to allow us to do what we love, terrifying you. If you would like to support the show and become a patron, jump on over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms today and find the tier that's right for you. This episode is brought to you by our patrons. Patrons like Lynn Browning, Jessica Finch, Page 314, Haley's Vomit, Ellie Dowell, Stacy Thewis, Megan Pruitt, Michael Philip BG, Jackalbot Snows, The Original Nick Show, Jason Porras, Michael Velez, Diverelli, Patrick Stewart, Kelly Bear, Amy Nikolai, Brooks Bigley, Arthur Unk, Christy Sprague, Mitch Gerrids, Melissa Nova, Antoinette Portillo, Michael Zanke, Matt, Stephanie, Denise Pinto, Michael Beckwith, Godzilla Eyes, Jeremy Schaefer, Trigvi Christensen, Rachel Lamb, Hale Scherf, Charlotte Norrip, Callisto Aris, Christopher Baker, Darren Hampson, Ronald Watson, Nightmare Rabbit, Sarah Zartaloma, Debbie Fur, Scotty, Mark Taus, Melody Hoschek, Sky Isa, Cassie Pertit, Brad Bone, J.M. Scherf, John Grills, Justin Thulu, John, Brian Bridges, Rebecca Edwards, Ursula Person, and Kathleen Clyde. We hope you enjoy this delightful double feature, and stay tuned, roomies, for a special announcement on Halloween. <laughs> it's going to be a most unexpected event. <laughs> Enjoy. This episode involves content that may not be suitable for all listeners. A detailed explanation of all of the content warnings will be in the show notes. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. 
You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. what happened to Todd? Yeah, gross. War didn't ever kill you? Sure, a couple times. What a weird guy. Like, I get torturing for fun, you know? I get making someone scream, but one of our own? What's the get? Yeah, weird. Hey there, go for Stefakala. You heard her. Use your mortal name when you're in the rooms. <clears throat> Go for Steve. Oh, sure. I'm with, uh, Molly. Uh, we're supposed to pick up the paperwork, the guest book, a couple of other things from the front desk. Sure, buddy. No problem. Haiku books. You got it. Are they... In the top drawer on the left. We'll grab them for you. Haiku? Don't ask. Just trust me. I've asked and the answer goes on and on and doesn't get anywhere you want to go. Okay. Control, the fountain's still on. Can you kill it? Hey guys, nice work on the walls. 
Almost all down, huh? Good stuff. We'll let her know how it's going. This is the desk? Yeah, let's get it all together. Checking book, got it. Lots of papers. Put them in that folder there. Sure. Huh. This must be the haiku book. Hmm. You want to hit me with one? Do I have to? Hmm. How much do I outrank you again? I maintain you still have to be in Hell's Army for rank to matter. But sure, whatever. <clears throat> The walls surround me. Overhead they soar on high. Loud screams on the wind. Oh, that's not bad. He's getting better. Is that everything? Let's give it a once over. I think... Huh, there, there's something under the desk here. What is that? Snake skin. From one of the crew? Must be. Or he tortured her with a snake, maybe? I haven't read all the reports yet. More weird, right? Should we call it in? Maybe. Hey, we're at the desk. We've got your book. I am not who you are expecting, I'm afraid. Ah, ma'am, uh, apologies. Uh, we were doing a favor for... His haiku, yes. You have them in hand? Y yeah Hand off the papers and books to one of the crews down there. I have a job for the two of you. I'll take him over. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what can we do for you? repeat myself. I will await the return of Maldravenesh. Okay, um... Uh, Teardown is going really well. Most of the place is down to the studs. As is to be expected. We are on a timetable, after all. What's the, uh... What's it going to look like? Right now. No, 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 just uh just just curious. What a strange flaw you have developed. Um I'm back. What's up? She was going to Molly? Stephen. Before you leave, I need you to clear out some rooms. We had two prepped and readied for Miss Winters when the incident occurred. She doesn't mean... Uh, ma'am, when you say clear out the rooms... Yes, I mean enter them. Experience them. Die. In this case, your participation in the room serves two purposes. First, simple house cleaning, 
Once the locus is established, it can only be undone by completing it. As I judge both of these rooms to be ill-fitting for our next guest, we need them disconnected before we can proceed with the project. Second, intelligence. Come to my office for a debrief when you've returned to the pit. I so rarely get a chance to see the inside of the rooms these days. And I want to make sure things are operating at peak efficiency. Ah, you know, we're always happy to serve, ma'am. But do we really need to... I mean, some of these places get pretty bad. Are you refusing this request? No, 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 no. Uh, just wondering if someone else would be better suited to this. Now you are implying I have not given this matter sufficient thought. No, I... I'm sorry, ma'am. Which rooms are these? They're both on the club level. One room leads to a lovely farm. Interminable buzz. The other, <laughs> I made a deal with the devil. Is that just a, a, a title, or is the boss actually, like, in there? Oh, he's in there all right. But don't worry. Given my understanding of how the locust should play out, well... You should be protected from his unwavering gaze. Probably. And if he does, ma'am? Detect us, I mean. Uh, what... What am I supposed to do? Very good. Excellent. Get up to the club level. Deal with these rooms. And as soon as you've gotten some bodies put back together, come speak to me. I shall be in my office, with Todd. No, no, uh-uh, not happening. Ugh, I had such a nice morning, too. There's no way I'm sticking myself into a mortal's head and then getting tortured to death. No way. Bad enough I have to be wearing this thing. Let's not have this discussion here. Come on. No way am I doing this. Think logically. What's going to happen if we refuse? Fuck them. I didn't sign up for shitty mortal drama time. We can't...
We can't be having these kind of conversations here. I'm going to go find her. When we get back, I'm going down and I'm gonna find her. And we definitely can't be talking about that here. Fine. Fine. Fuck. We have to do this, don't we? We do. You know they're not gonna let us out of here the easy way. I'm not doing the devil thing. That's on you. (sighs) Fine. But if I do this, we're even. For that thing with that ophanim that one time. Ugh. Deal. (sighs) Let's go die, I guess. Last week has been awful, but today was by far the worst. I've tried leaving the door and windows open, but they don't take the hint. Besides, it's an open invitation for more of them to invade our house and defecate over our things. There are six of them, at least. Fast little fuckers, too. Mist. Damn. The house itself is what anyone in their right minds would class as rundown. But we fell in love with it immediately. Well, I did. And Beck eventually came around, after a barrage of empty promises. The location was just so remote, so peaceful. We never anticipated all the bloody flies of late. The air smells like dry wood, so a click of the fingers could set the whole place alight. It's the 10th straight day of mid 40s degree heat. Boy, these flies seem to thrive on it. Beck doesn't like to kill anything, says that everything has a purpose. I think she suggested lavender to drive them away. But she's upstairs and I'm down here, armed and dangerous. I dampen the end of the towel with some water from the tap and splash some across my forehead. So damn hot. Now it's on. There's one on the fridge. Sometimes I feel like they're taunting me. Have a go if you think you're quick enough. I line up, motionless, wrist cocked and ready to strike. Teeth buried into my lip. You're mine now! One down. Yes. As I wipe the body from the red sheen of the fridge door, I upped my next victim. Kitchen counter in the center of some breadcrumbs. By the toaster. I can feel the sweat dripping down both my cheeks. I'm in the zone now. The killing zone. Enjoy your last meal. Slowly I shuffle across the still cool tiles 
and adopt my rigid pre-attack pose. Surely it sees me. Why doesn't it just fly away? It's playing with me. Oh yeah, perfect hit. Not so cunning now, are you? An enormous sense of pride flows through me. And I take a moment to congratulate myself on the speed and precision of that last shot. I even think about taking a little victory lap. But then I hear that maddening buzz. Two to go. My adrenaline is sky high. Heart pumping, I'm charged. Who are you? One shoots past my right ear. I hear the other one flying low somewhere. No doubt looking for food that it can vomit on. Dirty buckers. Like a badly acted zombie, my head jerks spasmodically in all directions as I attempt to track the source of the interminable buzz. They'll get tired soon. I have time. I can wait. The metallic taste of blood is in my mouth as I watch one land momentarily on the doorframe. It takes off again before I even have a chance to move. Next time you won't be so lucky, punk. Still in strike pose, holding my breath as so not to miss a move or sound, I feel the cool beads of sweat begin to run down my back. I'm so thirsty. What are you doing down there, Jane? It's on my fucking cheek! The sting as my hand makes contact makes my eyes water. And the subsequent ringing in my ears is disorienting. No smudge on my hand. Miss the fucker. It's laughing at me now. Little shit. I see it. There's one big juicy fucker on the side of my tumbler. That's my whiskey! Jane! Christ, I can't even enjoy a drink. What with her and the flies? It's probably had a shit on the glass. Growling. I leap across, waving my arms, frantically in its direction, and attacking the air with all sorts of untrained karate chops. When it flees, I realize how overdramatic my actions are, and let out a victorious and maniacal snicker. <laughs> Yes! But at least it's gone. Aggressively, I rub the rim with a cloth before knocking back the liquid and pouring another. Makes you so thirsty, this heat. You're not drinking, are you? The buzzing begins. Again. It's the fluctuating volume as they dive bomb from all directions. That drives me crazy. It's unsettling. Anxiety building. Swinging the tea towel above my head like a lasso, I begin to gallop around the kitchen, emitting a garbled war cry that sounds like an out-of-tune Tarzan. I continue this until black spots suddenly bloom in my vision. My thumping heart and heavy breathing force me to sit and nurse my drink. Finally, some of the spots begin to fade, but others don't. There are three flies on the ceiling, and another on the fridge. Two of them buzz a path in front of me, engaged in some aerobatic display of courtship. I watch as they come to rest on the kitchen bench, mating in front of my very eyes, just to spite me. I knock the whiskey back and slowly get to my feet, holding onto the edge of the table for stability. 
This heat is making me dizzy. The filthy flies take off in unison before I even take a step. There's one on the photograph frame. Beck and I in happier times. It jerkily walks across the glass and stops when it reaches my face. Hey, get off there, filthy bastard. I'm on my second win now. It's war. Whipping the towel with tremendous venom, I send the frame crashing and spinning across the floor until it comes to rest just a few feet from the oven. I walk over and flip the frame, nodding at the predictable and perfect crack that splits us in two. A bead of sweat drops from my face and disappears into the newly created fracture. The flies rev up again, all around me, as does my adrenaline. I can feel it coursing through every vein, my body stiff with anger as I unleash another unholy growl that sounds almost inhuman. I see them everywhere now, perhaps a dozen, maybe more. Mocking, they circle around my head. The ever-changing proximity of their beating wings vibrates through my bones with a matching intensity. can one woman take? One lands on my knuckle and I instinctively flick it away. A tickling sensation begins on the back of my neck and then my leg, but there's nothing there. I charge at one resting on the wall above the bread bin, tea towel raised above my head. But by the time I bring it down, the fly is long gone. I grab the edge of the bench and take some deep breaths. It's so damn hot. I turn and there are more, too many to count. Dozens of them locked in their intimate tornadoes of passion. Fuck off. Relentlessly, I swish the tea towel in the air and somehow manage to flick it in my eye. God damn it. Instinctively, I dig the ball of my hand in the corner, frantically beginning to rub. The squeaky sound like feet on marshy ground irritates me even further. The flies, exploiting the momentary distraction, begin to swarm relentlessly around my head. Fuck! You better not be at that whiskey again! Her voice sends shivers down my spine. Have a fucking drink if I want, stupid bitch! I run for the bottle, just to show her I'm in control. So thirsty. Two glugs and it's gone. I run outside in the extreme heat. Flies buzzing around my head and bare feet stinging with pain. As I scramble across the scorching brown dust, the large hole in the yard almost takes me, but somehow I manage to stagger around and into the relative coolness of the tool shed. Doubled over, I try to catch my breath and watch as the dust below hungrily swallows the beads of sweat that drop from my face. This place ruined us. It turned us against each other. The solitude I initially fell in love with became overbearing. All the talking. Too much talking. Just me, her, the flies, and the heat. And the whiskey. Thank God for my secret stash. Second row down underneath the paint rag, 
There it is. You beauty. The bottle feels cool in my hand. As I quickly unscrew the lid and take in more of the golden liquid. But the flies are here too. Still out to get me. Mercilessly swarming in and out of my personal space. I can't take this anymore. Wincing as my teeth sink into my lip once again. I remember the jerry can of petrol in the corner of the room. And the thought quickly flashes into my head. This is an all-in situation now. And I can't let them beat me. Another swig from the bottle. I grab the can with my free hand and make my way back to the kitchen. There are hundreds of them in here now, on the ceiling, counters, and walls. Any doubt in my head is gone. I place the whiskey down on the counter and begin to douse the floors and walls with petrol. With the first bit of the job done, I take a moment to catch my breath and wrestle the matches from my pocket. I watch the orange glow dance proudly in the dry air. Momentarily, I feel lucid thought beginning to materialize, but it's too late. The flame licks at my fingers and I can only watch. The match falls, slowly, in slow motion to the floor. A soft whoosh of fire, and then the fire spreads, crackling flames. Walls and floor instantly set ablaze around me, and the explosion of heat is off the charts. The house immediately begins to concede in a series of alarming cracks and moans. I back slowly and carefully towards the door as the room spins in kaleidoscopic shades of orange. It's happening quickly, flames hungrily consuming everything around. Go back to sleep, Beck. It's all going to be okay. I grab the bottle from the counter. Two more backward steps and I'm outside now, looking up at the smoke as the sun blasts on the back of my neck. And finally, not a fly in earshot. It must be the fire. I'm free. Finally, I'm free of them. But then I hear it, a distant buzz becoming gradually louder. It's different though, more intense. From inside, it's coming from inside the house. I take another step back from the burning building. What is, what is that? Something moving in the flames. Rebecca? No, it can't be. She's in the spare room with a knife through her neck. But it looks human. I take another step back. Too difficult to see, but it's getting closer. And that sound, relentless. You've been drinking, Jane. 
Yeah? What of it? That noise almost deafening. The familiar feeling in my bones and the crawling sensation across my skin. Still can't make it out. Something is moving back there. How? It appears from the doorway. The thing that used to be my wife. She's swarming head to toe in thousands of those dirty little bastards. One big orgy at my expense. It's the dream. Must be. How much have I had? Oh, fuck me. Lavender, Jane, I told you. Another step back and... Oh, shit! The wind is knocked out of me as my back slams hard into the ground at the bottom of the hole. Whiskey sprays across my face as the bottle springs out of my hand. I could only manage to dig three feet down into the baking heat and solid ground. That seemed like a long way down. And now as I lie here struggling to catch my breath, I'm grateful for my half-assed efforts. My relief is short-lived. Above the shallow grave, a dark shape looms. A moving blanket of filth. My worst nightmare come true. The noise is grating, and I cover my ears. But it's as though they are inside my head now, with her. Even before I try to sit up, the swarm is on me. They're all over my face and hair. I shake my head. For a moment, I'm free. But they are soon on me again. And this time, they are joined by more. I can't take the noise. They're in my nostrils, my ears, crawling over my eyelids. The filthy bastards. I can feel them on my arms, my chest, my legs. Everywhere. Some of them swarm into my mouth. They taste like newspaper. They can't go like this. I can't be maggot food. Not like her. Why didn't I bury her? I made the fucking hole too raw. Too soon. And the maggots got there so quickly. And then the flies. You'll have plenty of time to sober up very soon. Why did you do it? I can't even remember why now. It's all ice. Lagging began to sound like the flies. And this heat drives you crazy. Puts you on edge. So thirsty, Peck. I know it's a poor excuse. What's done is done. Silence falls. I lift a hand to my cheek and let myself enjoy the feel of the skin. Opening my eyes slowly, I see the skeletal frame of the house. Aggressive flames that add further intensity to the already unbearable heat. But she's gone. No sign of any goddamn flies. No buzzing. Nothing. I gotta stop drinking. I grabbed the sides of my wife's grave and slowly began to pull myself out. But then I see the shadow. Impossibly still. Watching. Waiting. Beck. I guess it's too late for lavender. Clasping my hand around the bottle, I suck out the remaining dregs before closing my eyes and lying back down in the hole. Even before the buzzing begins again, I know 
That girl. My girl. Who wouldn't have harmed a fly. She's going to make an exception in my case. There's nothing more debilitating to a man's soul than hearing that his daughter stopped breathing during her afternoon nap. I got a call from Sarah, my wife, during work. She was in hysterics, and I couldn't understand what she was trying to tell me. When the words finally registered, my knees buckled. My life spilled out of me. Autumn wasn't even five years old, the absolute center of our universe. She'd been our miracle baby. We tried every possible way to get pregnant, then learned that Sarah was the problem, which broke her heart. $60,000 and a very invasive surgery later, the doctors were able to extract four of her eggs that had any potential of becoming fertile. By the grace of God and modern medicine, we were successful after three failed attempts. Sarah gave birth to our little miracle eight months later. She was a few weeks early, but perfectly healthy. Due to complications during C-section, doctors had to remove her uterus. This meant that she would never be able to have another child. That didn't matter. We had Autumn, and she was everything we could have ever wanted in our lives. Unexplainable, sudden, toddler death. That's what they called what happened to our little girl. It's what they call it when a toddler just goes to sleep and never wakes back up. Sarah went to check on her after her nap seemed to go on longer than it normally did. And found her. Blue. Cold. Dead half an hour before my wife found her. Sarah blames herself. Despite the doctor saying there was nothing she could have done. It broke her. She's locked herself in Autumn's room since it happened. I was barely able to get her to the funeral today. There's no way I would have been able to watch them lower that tiny coffin into the ground alone. She held herself together to get through it, but now she's back in there, falling apart once more. As for me, I've been numbing myself with bourbon. It won't ever be enough, because I know that I'll never be able to hold Autumn in my arms again. I must have dozed off in front of the TV. My phone buzzed in my pocket, jolted me awake.
I figured it was just another sympathy text, so I ignored it and tried to go back to sleep. I closed my eyes again, but my phone began to vibrate non-stop. I pulled it out. A single text message from an unknown number. The text read, Hello, Adam. I think I may be able to help with your pain. How could someone possibly think they could help with a pain like this? I texted back, annoyed. Who the fuck is this? And what makes you think you could help? I poured myself another drink with the hopes of slipping back into sleep. At least when I was asleep, I didn't have to feel. The text came back. Lucifer is my God-given name. The devil, as you call me. I think I may be able to offer you a deal. What in the actual fuck? This was a crazy person texting me. Fuck you, asshole. I flipped the bird at my phone and started when it buzzed again. Another text. It read, Do you always flip off someone when they offer to help you? Attached was a picture of me flipping my phone off. As I stared, awestruck, a new text. I can give you back your daughter, Adam. I can give Autumn another chance at life. That's not funny. Tears began to form in my eyes. I texted back. What kind of a sick asshole says that to a mourning father? I nearly cracked my screen hitting the send button, then took a stiff drink. A flood of depression rose inside of me again. I'm not sure how long I was crying, but I was interrupted by a call from an unknown number. What the fuck do you want? The voice that answered was smooth and velvety, and summoned a sort of calm within me. The moment I heard his voice, I was no longer angry. I couldn't be. All I want is to help with your pain, Adam. Why? I was folded over on my knees and elbows, still weeping into my hands. A thick rope of saliva connected my lips to the carpet. Why do you want to help me? Your pain. That's what led me to you. I felt it in hell. What you're going through. Your tortured soul has been screaming for help, calling out to anyone who would listen. I don't think the big guy gives a single fuck about you down here, suffering like this. That sort of pain can't just go on being ignored. If he is not going to do something about it, then I will. I looked up from the tear-soaked carpet. You really want to help me? Because I'm in pain? Adam, the loss of a child is something that no parent should have to deal with. I only wish I could be there for every parent who loses a child. I wiped my nose with my wrist. You said you could give me my autumn back, is that true? Can you really bring my daughter back to life? There was a long pause. I found myself sitting up, leaning towards the phone in anticipation and hoping that I hadn't just fallen victim to some twisted joke at my expense. The silence seemed to drag on for an eternity. Yes, I can. But a favor like this will not be free. If you make this deal, you need to understand that it cannot be broken or undone under any circumstance. Do you understand this, 
Adam. I... I do. Good. What is it you want from me? Well, Adam, what would you be willing to give up in exchange for your daughter's life? This was a question I've answered before, rhetorically, never thinking I would ever actually be asked. But it was always easy to answer anything. Anything is a big word. Are you sure that you mean it? I would literally be willing to do and give anything, even down to my own soul, if it meant that Autumn would no longer be dead. I was standing now, cradling the phone as if it was the most valuable thing on Earth. Good. Then, do we have a deal? You haven't told me what you want in return. You're right. I haven't. But you did say that you would give anything, anything at all, to bring your daughter back to life. If you truly mean anything, then it shouldn't matter what it is, right? There's no decision left to be made. Whether it's a pin or your soul, it should make no difference if anything is truly what you mean. So, do we have a deal, Adam? He was right. It really didn't matter what it was, as long as Autumn was able to live again. Nothing was more important or valuable to me. Even if it was my soul that I was damning, it would be worth it. Yes, we have a deal. Perfect. Then it's done. I could hear what sounded like finger snapping. Sudden cries came from the room down the hall. Autumn's cries. My heart leapt into my throat, and I nearly fell as I scrambled for the door. It was locked. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Daddy's right here. I'm right here. I'm coming to get you. I began to ram my shoulder into the door, determined to get it open as quickly as possible. Sarah! Sarah, where are you? Autumn's back. Our girl is back. Sarah! Autumn's cries began to get louder and desperate. She was dead and buried just moments ago. She must have been scared and confused about what was happening. Shh! It's okay, Autumn. Daddy will be there in just a second, I promise. Mommy's coming too. She's going to be so happy to see you. Sarah! I charged at the door and slammed into it with full force, forcing it wide open. I immediately ran to Autumn's crib. My heart sank when I saw that the crib was empty, except for a baby monitor. It was the video monitor we used to keep an eye on her when we were in another room, the kind with an infrared camera to film in the dark. The video playing on the monitor was in infrared, and I could make out the body of my daughter laid in front of the camera. I'm right here, my sweet baby. Where are you? The space she was in was so tiny she could barely move her arms. She was looking into the camera. Her eyes were swollen and glossy from crying. It hit me like a kick to my jaw. She was in a box. The same floral patterned box Sarah and I had buried her in just this morning. I was watching my daughter scream for me from inside of her coffin. Her coffin that was still buried in the ground almost two hours away in the family plot. Her tiny voice called for me again as she trembled. I touched the screen, wanting nothing more in that moment than to be able to take away what she was feeling. Sarah! Sarah, where are you? I found my answer swaying in the closet. Sarah was hanging from her neck by an extension cord tied to the top brackets of the closet shelves. I ran to her, but already knew that it was too late. Her milky eyes, dull and lifeless, stared vacantly at the ground. Sarah, 
No, 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 no. What did you do? I pulled her from the noose, and her body collapsed to the ground. Autumn's cries grew in desperation, and she hugged herself, unable to do anything else in her tiny prison. I sat, holding my wife, and listening to my daughter cry for me, trying to comprehend exactly what was happening. My phone lit with a call. An unknown number. What? What, what have you done? My wife's life was not mine to bargain away to you. Oh, Adam. Lucifer's voice forced a calm within me. I felt myself grow still. You give me too much credit. Your wife took her own life well before you and I ever made a deal. Though I do appreciate the blame. There was a proud, sickening evil to his voice this time. How had I not heard it before? And my daughter? I was perversely thankful for the enchanted serenity Lucifer's voice brought me. There's no way I'll be able to get to her before she... <laughs> I certainly hope not. That would break our deal, and we simply could not have that. It really was your pain that drew me to you. The only thing worse than having to feel and live through the pain of losing your little girl would be to have to do it twice. That's all I wanted from you in exchange for her life. For you to feel that pain all over again. She was still looking into the monitor, directly into my eyes. Just like when she was in her crib and had a bad dream. Lucifer's words echoed in my head as I held my wife's body. The glow of the baby monitor and my daughter's frightened face, the only light in this dark room. There was absolutely no way I would be able to get to her and dig her up before she ran out of air in that tiny coffin. She was going to die all over again, right in front of my eyes. And with Sarah gone, I would have to live through it alone this time. I made a deal with the devil to ease my pain, only to find more than I ever imagined possible. Interminable Buzz, written by Mark Taus, featuring performances by Tanya Maloyevich as Jane and Charlotte Norp as Beck. I Made a Deal with the Devil, written by Mike Lee, featuring performances by Graham Rowett as Adam, Alana Jade as Autumn, and Warren Richardson as the Devil. Teardown was written by Michael Zenke and featured performances by Graham Rowett as Bob, Margaret Ashley as the architect, Blanca Camacho as Molly, and Raymond J. Lee as Stephen. Musical composition was by J.M. Scherf. Episode artwork and creative direction is by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon management by Brooks Bigley. Videography is by Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design is by me, Jason Wilson. The Grey Room's Season 3 preseason double feature is the first in our newest installment of creepy, scary, and terrifying new stories we have to come. 
And stay tuned for special news coming on our next preseason episode on Halloween. It will be a scream. Yeah, like it. We would like to take the time to thank our patrons once again, and to any of those of you who have taken the time to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Those reviews keep us at the top of the charts and make it easier for more Twisted Souls to find the show. The Grey Rooms is also streaming for free on Spotify. Just get the Spotify app or open your browser and search the Grey Rooms. You can find out more by joining us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we took your advice and extended an olive branch to all of the tortured souls who have passed through the rooms. Our emotional support group is always looking to help you with all of your needs. And don't forget about our merch store. It's full of epic designs and logos for you to sport, showing the world you are a survivor of these very rooms. All of this can be found in the show notes or on our website at thegrayrooms.com. And don't forget, we also have a very special, awesome Discord channel. So jump on in there and join us today. So thank you for joining us for this production of our preseason episode for your enjoyment to kind of keep you hanging in there for the launch of season three. From all of us here at the Gray Rooms, until next time, we'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs>